0: All right, Frank, I am ready. I am so excited because I decided to yet again, create another open source project.
1: Oh, God. Now I know what we're talking about. We're talking about Monkey Cash. My. Monkey Cash. It's happening. <laughs> I love the name. Who came up with that name? That's a good one. Well, so that one was a combination
0: of you and me because, well, here's what happened, Frank. Let's rewind. And I've been building a lot of apps. In fact, both of us worked on a bunch of open source applications for nonprofits. And we just work on a bunch of applications all the time. Yeah. And something... That describes happened. my life. <laughs> yeah, working on apps all the time. <laughs> uh, well, both of us... Always run into almost every app developer probably runs in the same problem, which is that I have some data that I pulled from the internet or my users entered into the application. I need to save that data. And in a lot of my applications, sometimes it's really structured data. So I'll, for like Meetup Manager, it's very structured and it's very yeah. dynamic data. So um, I'll use SQLite or I could use something else like that, you know, online offline sync. But in a lot of my applications, I'm just hitting a RESTful endpoint. So for instance, in one of these applications, I'm getting some resources that can change and not change, but maybe it's like a list of businesses. So I hit this endpoint. That's usually always static thing. I pulled on some JSON. And what do I do? Like, what do I do with that yeah. data?
1: Yeah, this is uh, actually one of the very first presentations I ever gave because I think I have this some kind of mental block when it comes to programming and basically data serialization. Like once we have data in memory, once we have our nice little object graph, it's so easy to write apps. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a little bit of algorithms, a little bit of UI stuff, la di da di da. But then, oh god, data serialization—like sending data up to the server, pulling it down, and then on top of that, caching because um, I, my presentation that I was referring to, its whole topic was how to write a disconnected app. That is one that needs a connection, but is constantly being disconnected. And it's a hard problem. Um, it yeah, is. Bas- I, I, think,
0: I think that I ran into two problems and I think we've talked about this quite a bit before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. One was that I want to not only persist the data, but what happens when I go to a page, go back, go back to the same page? I don't really want to, mm-hmm. I, I could put that in memory, but what happened, you know, some different states, what if something gets cleaned up? I don't want to keep stuff around. So I think there's two form factors. One is what happens the next time I open the app and it's only been a minute and I go and get the same yeah. data, like I don't want to make that web <laughs> pre- request again. And then right. also what happens if I'm offline? So I tweeted mm-hmm. and I, I caused <laughs> a disruption in the oh. e-
1: i think people liked your tweet it all gave us something to uh what's it called yak shave about or um something about sheds in the backyard painting them i don't know we did all that stuff
0: yes and i said what library should i use for my xamarin apps for caching web request data for you know 24 hours and then the big gotcha frank was this was i said minimal dependencies If Uh. possible, no reactive extension stuff. Not that I don't like reactive extensions. Don't
1: get me wrong. I do like it.
0: (laughs) But not that I just didn't. I didn't want to bring in the world of dependencies into my application just to source some data for a little bit of time.
1: Yeah. I feel like, is this my influence on you? Am I having a bad influence on you? Because I'm pretty, I I hate. It's not just having the dependency, that's fine. Whatever, the software takes care of it. It's um getting over-engineered <laughs> dependencies. I just want a simple HTTP caching layer and basically I don't want to bring in huge libraries to accomplish that simple task. So that's definitely my bias. So it was funny to hear you <laughs> uh having the same bias. Is that old? Yeah. No,
0: I this is this is nothing against any specific framework. I think what I mostly said, because Eric Sink, who big, 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 big friend of the show, Eric Sink, um, big fan over here. And a huge here. help.
1: He's a big huge contributor help. to open source.
0: Yeah. Eric Sink's amazing. And he chimed in and, and he was like, no Rx stuff. He was so sad. And I said, well, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I love Rx, just not in my mobile apps. I think there's too many dependencies. There's, you know, other stuff. Uh, said, maybe I'm just old school. I just don't know. I, 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 I'm you know, I like the idea. And what I really said is I said, I'm always blown away by reactive extension demos and I love it. Mm -hmm. But just like other libraries, when I do, when I want to do one little small thing, I don't want to install a world of dependencies. And also, um, I want to understand what's happening. I'm like, I think that's one of the biggest things for me. And I followed up a little bit more later on in the conversation. And I said, you know, I also think about, um, what happens when I hand this project off to somebody else or open source the project or do something else? Are they going to be able to understand, you know, how this all works? And, and mm. I think I'm, that's why I enjoy libraries like reactive extensions or auto map these things. I'm just not going to use, I'm not going to use Fodi. I'm not going to use auto mapper <laughs> and people can yell at me. That's fine. And, and granted that being said, some of these are very different types of things, but to me, they, they, they hide some of the magic. I don't need, mm. Everything to be hidden from me. I'm okay with it being vo- more verbose. These these things are pretty powerful, but I, as a developer, I want to understand the code that's going in, um, yeah, and going out.
1: You know me. I'm um I'm pretty promiscuous when it comes to architectures. I've tried a little bit of everything, and with my apps written in F Sharp, I've definitely taken a reactive style of programming. So it's kind of funny to hear you talking because at the same time that I've written lots of apps in that style, it's a, it's a style I love. um, I don't recommend it for everything. Honestly, I think it um, forces a certain rigor in the way that you design your app and everything kind of has to buy into that system. It really throws away the old fashioned way of just cobbling together apps as we're all familiar with and comfortable with this one. I think to do it right um, requires that you think a little outside the box and re-architect your app and do clever things. And I guess <laughs> my biggest argument is sometimes I don't want to do that. Sometimes <laughs> I just want to cache some HTTP requests.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have to relearn the entire world to to do this one little tiny thing. And
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I think that's kind of what, what kind of sparked it because people were like, oh, you could just use Akabash. And I knew that was the very first thing that people would say, not knowing that everyone knows that it's all based on reactive extensions and stuff. And Paul Betts and um, a bunch of other people created and maintain it. And it's a beautiful library. It's super great. It's also based on SQLite and has JSON.net and it has a bunch of other reactive extension stuff. And I go, "Mm, nah, I don't know. It just seems and and it also (laughs) seems like that library does too much. Right. I think that's another complicated part of it is sometimes libraries do one or two things really well. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they get out of control. It happens with my plugin. Sometimes I'm like, I really (laughs) wanted to do this one thing and then feature, 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 feature creep. Right. So uh I think that was the problem.
1: I want to give it also a shout out for Akavash because it is at least very well engineered. It's very fast at what it does. So let's take a moment and say it's just a way to um, throw. It's like a key value store, I guess, essentially. And it's just a way to throw objects to be saved away eventually and um, persistently so that it survives reboots of your app. Written by a friend of the show, as you said, very good software. But as you also said, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it's just, I guess it's fine as long as like you know it's not slow as long as it's not actually affecting your performance. Mm-hmm. But a library like that has grown and matured and does a ma- bazillion million jazillion things, whatever the word is. Yeah. And sometimes you just want a library to store a stupid file away. <laughs> I
0: think that, that's the biggest thing, right? I, I start looking at the library or any library I start to investigate. And, and I'll tell you a good story of this, too, is two stories. The first thing is when I'm reading documentation and the very first thing I see is that I have to use System systemreactive.link. Important. This makes a weight work. And I'm like, wait, I, this, you know, it like throws me into a white right? loop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I think. And then I start looking and I go, oh, this is interesting. There's multiple. This is what I actually like about Akavesh is you can use reactive or extensions or not like you can there's literally two apis to do the same thing because it's i observable but then i'm like why are there two apis i'm very confused (laughs)
1: like you know how do i use this thing Um, i don't even know how to answer that that is uh something we should mention we always talk about reactive extensions it's that's just a very big library to do reactive style programming but you can do reactive style programming without any of these libraries as i said that's how i write my software you can start with i observable or you can even throw that away and say i want to do it my own way um but yeah in that case i am curious why they have the fork i don't know <laughs> i'd have to look into that library
0: and it's like when i go to use other libraries too i remember i was working on this old uh, contacts uh plugin which i've now decided contacts are too way too complicated for a plugin mm. so sorry oh, no okay um it, but you know it, it happens but someone wanted to add the uwp support and they brought in auto mapper because like, Oh, we need to map the windows person contact to your contact. And that's what auto mapper does. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, it's a library by Jimmy Bogart, a friend of the show, big, big friend in real life too. Um, And Jimmy's great. And it maps things, but my whole thing (laughs) is why do I need it to, I'll just map it myself. Like I can just map it myself
1: (laughs) for this one little thing. You know, so it's it's in the title. It's auto mapper. This is something that's going to do it automatic for automatically for you. If you need to do it for 10,000 different classes, you know, I have a giant enterprise app that has uh, lots of classes. Uh, But as you said, if I'm mapping, if I'm just, you know, converting one object to another object, I can write that function. This isn't rocket science here. I don't need an automatic Mapper, boy, we're sounding very crouchity like old men here, aren't we? But I don't need your auto mapper.
0: No, I think you made a perfect point, right? Which was, if you're looking to architecture applications, I think this goes back to a lot of our architecture of how strict should you be on MVVM? How much should you use IOC containers or dependency injection, or or use things like you know auto mapper? And people could say, well geez, James and Frank, well, why even use json.net? Use, you know, Mm -hmm. built-in system.json or whatever, you know, I'm not (laughs) going to use that. But, you know, I think (laughs) it depends on on my workflow because as someone that works a lot in the open source, then I go, okay, well, now whoever wants to now contribute to this code not only has to go learn my API, the Windows API, but they also have to figure out how automapper even works Mm -hmm. to go ahead and bring this in. So that's kind of my thought on it. And I've always been a fan of plugins or things that have less dependencies. Um,
1: So it's it's an interesting argument, but I'm going to interject for a moment. One thing I have actually been super surprised with, with open source software is everyone else's technical capabilities. Mm. I've released software where I'm just like, there is no way anyone's going to be able to figure out this code, let alone figure out a patch, let alone fix a bug or add a feature. And then. Day one, someone adds a feature and just like, wait, what? How did you figure that out? They're like, I read the code. I'm like, ah, oh, you're so smart. So um, <laughs> I, I like where you're coming from. Yeah, you don't want to force people to learn all this stuff, but just putting it out there. My God, people are smart. That's true. Maybe I need to have more faith in people. Is that is that my <laughs> problem really at this just, point? Just putting it there out. Just, you can think on that thought a little bit.
0: <laughs> I will think on that thought. And I will say, though, not only did... I get a lot of responses to this tweet. It had me thinking, but it seemed to also have you thinking, Frank, because (laughs) you early on trolled a little bit i'm not gonna lie
1: uh, about it uh, yeah it, it was definitely a troll thing so uh someone mentioned the rx thing maybe it was eric and mm-hmm. i was just gonna let it go because whatever you know people got to the troll so i think there was already a little trolling going on oh yeah <laughs> but then um something happened and just like other people started responding to you and i found like you were actually defending the position so i just wanted to do my own little trolly response defending your position of you know yes yeah, some- I just want
0: to let me quote you real quick. So, so after this, Frank Frank chimes in. He says, "So you're saying you want an HTTP caching library and not not a fundamentally new perspective on programming? Odd. (laughs) 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 I love
1: it. A little trolley, a little snarky, a little trolley." So all I was trying to say was, um, look, this guy out here has a need. He's asking for a library that satisfies his need. And when someone says, I don't want something, like you specifically said in the tweet, I don't want Rx, the proper response is not to say you should use Rx (laughs) or try to make you feel bad about it or convince you not to use it. The proper response is, oh, he doesn't want to use Rx. I guess we'll have to find him another library or something like that. So I just felt that it was a little uh, weird that people were responding to you exactly with what you said not to respond with.
0: That was my thoughts. But, you know, that's me. And I think it's the Internet. (laughs) It's the Internet. Yeah. And, and I think that, the, you know, these things uh, probably exist. I'm assuming that there's many libraries. I did get some really good recommendations, by the way, so I don't want to poo-poo. So Akavash mm-hmm. is a great recommendation, yeah. yes. Um, a lot of people were just like, you know, just store it on on disk. Or there's other things like mm-hmm. Couchbase or something called DB. I've never heard of this one, Ooh, but it's yeah. a, you know this?
1: Uh yeah I've heard about it in the past i've i'm i like i said serialization putting data on the disk is such a mental hang up for me i I just you know I've written my own library, SQlite, <laughs> just because um I'm always looking for solutions to an amorphous problem. The problem is it's I hate the work of serializing data to the disk and I want it to go away and no matter any database, no matter what solution I've ever found out there. It's work putting stuff on disk. There is just absolutely no way to avoid it. It just always is. And so I've resorted to just basically rolling my own libraries just because it's trivial to write data to a disk and load it from the disk. And I found interfacing with all these more large libraries that were very sophisticated and did a lot of things. It was easy enough to just, you know, file open, file, write. (laughs) Yeah, Easy peasy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I I struggled. I said, you know, maybe I will. I said there has to be a solution, right? And I'm sure that there is. And like, there's a lot of good mm-hmm. ones out there. And, you know, heck, I could have... You know, figured out how to store all this stuff and map things to SQL, you know, SQLite.net or put it somewhere else or write to disk and all this stuff. I'm really mm-hmm. against writing files directly to disk. That's just my, I don't know why I am, but it's like, oh, I'm going to open up a text file and then save it. I'm sure it's fine, yeah, but something fundamentally fine. in me is like against <laughs> it. I don't know.
1: Um, you know what? You know what's a good reliable data store? The file system. The you file know what really system. never fails? The file system. The file so system. it's actually pretty reliable. Yeah. Just putting that so, out there.
0: And, and so that was my thought o- overall. And then, yeah, so I said, Frank, I think, um, I think I'm think i going to create this library. And, and you said, well, I already wrote this library, which is, of <laughs> course, the uh, what you would expect from Frank to say at that point. It's like, of course, I already created it because I'm Frank Kruger. I've created every
1: library that you could have possibly wanted to get to one oh, and it's in one of these apps. I didn't mean it that way. What I <laughs> meant was everyone runs into this problem. We all have the... We, Don't want to make a rub request for every stupid little piece of data that we need. You want to actually just store it away. So the app that I was most proud of that had, I thought, the best and most sophisticated system for this was my podcast playing app, MoCast um that's constantly just talking to a million different web servers under very terrible connections and downloading god knows what from the internet because you're just following random links and all that stuff and so that one had the most battle tested of all these kind of libraries of download some data from the internet store it away on the disk somewhere so that you can fetch it into memory and uh work with it quickly yep.
0: And I did it. I decided that um, I was going to create this library based on a little <laughs> bit of reference and guidance Crazy. from Frank. Oh, and no. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit of guidance and then a little bit of I also thought about the fact that why don't I make this like the new hotness, right? Use some .NET standard where it'll just like work mm-hmm. everywhere, get access to mm-hmm. all the APIs. Um, yeah. So I, 2.0, yeah, baby. 2.0
1: you went to 2.0. Yeah, I was super surprised. Um, we, we were chatting about this on IM and we we're just like, oh, maybe, maybe we'll work on it on the weekend. And then I get another text. I've created a repo. Then I get another text. We have NuGet packages. Then I get another text. I think I have it fully implemented. Then I get another text. People are sending in bug reports. I'm just like, wow, this thing went from zero to <laughs> maintenance mode in one day. And I'm just watching this stream of text flow by. So congrats on broadcasting a library on day one (laughs) Wait, to wait for a release (laughs) so i so here's what
0: happened let me let me walk you through let me unravel a little (laughs) bit here so i so you texted me like let's create this library and like well we need to have a name because i can't just start to do anything without you can't have a library this is important yeah it's very important so you i said i said like cached it and something some weird you know, enterprising name. And then you're like elephant Cash, And I go, no one wants elephants in their cache. I was like, everyone wants some monkeys <laughs> playing around with their cash, So um, monkey cache was born.
1: Elephant so cache. Because elephants have a good memory and no one, and it, literally no one wants monkeys messing around with their data, but that's what we got. We got a monkey cache.
0: It's a good, we got memory. a mon- we got a monkey cache. And, what I did is I actually set up a full production pipeline like I do in VSTS. I'm actually really pleased with my pipeline mm. that I put on this puppy. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm really, I'm really, you know me, I love the DevOps, and now I'm all in. But you, you were right. You said, "Hey, just start with a readme, tell you what you want." And I did get something up just so I could reserve the NuGet name. That was my big thing because if I release the thing and then someone steals my NuGet name, I'm not going to get it back. So. Um,
1: well, so for me, uh, let's, let's go back to that readme me because um, mm-hmm. what I was trying to avoid was us bouncing ideas back and forth to each other from text. I think it's the worst way to communicate. Mm-hmm. I just can't type fast enough and I can't really express myself very well that way. And so I thought um, it would be good to do this right and start with a design doc. Of course, we don't write design docs anymore. So I'm like, let's write a readme and at least sketch out how this thing should look from the outside, how it should work. And I think um, I think I was very pleased that you actually took my advice and did that because I don't think enough people do enough upfront design. I'm being a jerk there, straw man argument, but it's Mm -hmm. good to see some upfront design.
0: Yeah, I, I really sat sat down and I said, and this actually what ended up happening is I sat down and I said, What do I want from the library? And we've we've talked about this time and time again, which is when you're building a library, it's always kind of best to build it for you and if I'm the only person that ever uses Monkey Cash, I am okay with that.
1: Well, um, I think I think the important thing is that it solves a specific problem that you really have. Mm-hmm. If um if you can generalize it to solve more problems, great. But start with solving a for real Z real world uh problem, and I think that's a, a good trick to use to prevent yourself from overengineering something. Like we could have easily just started adding every feature under the sun to this thing, but. Mm-hmm had to stay focused on this is the task we're trying to solve download some data store it away for later
0: yeah that's and and i have a goal so i I started with a goal and i said the goal of monkey cache is to enable developers to easily cache any data for a limited amount of time i said it is not monkey cache's mission to handle network requests to get or post data only to cache data easily um that was my goal because i i thought about existing applications that are already making web requests and the fact that maybe I just want to store a string or a um a, a class really easily into memory and it should be as easy as get and add <laughs> like I'm going to add yeah the, these in and have an expiration date that that was my big time is like knowing that it's going to expire at a certain date and time um so from there this it, it kind of I started monkeying around with the idea and I thought it would be cute. Frank didn't think it's so cute, but I, I decided that <laughs> I was going to have uh, a barrel. A barrel is the base. <sighs> you put, you put, you put yeah. things in barrels. Um, <clears throat> usually monkeys, monkeys go into the barrels.
1: Um, and uh, uh okay so let, let me defend myself here <laughs> so one of the first things that happened because of course you publicized this immediately i think the moment you created the repo or something i did, I did. someone did a pr that without basically knowing any of the features of the library wrote <laughs> a million classes a million boilerplates, like set it up all correctly like in the mm-hmm. standard enterprisey this is how you should write a library and it actually was like a decent little template like he did a great job but it was hilarious that he was able to generate all that boilerplate code without even knowing what the library was supposed to do it was just all these assumptions of how it should work
0: this was this was before (laughs) i even had anything in the readme it was like literally just a blank page and i had a class one like it was just class one and nothing else you know what i mean like so blank And it was beautiful. There was an iBanana cache and an iMonkey. Of course, there was interfaces. There was a cache layer in memory. It was very good. And in fact, they had, his API was get and set, which is really funny. So <laughs> I loved it.
1: Yeah, so when I saw the barrel from you, A, at first I thought you were joking, like you actually took his code because I wasn't sure if you were going <laughs> to take his code. But B, um, I didn't like the name at first. Um, and the reason was basically discoverability. I'm one of those weirdos that will just search NuGet and find a package that maybe can solve their problem, down- downloads it, and then starts just pecking away at IntelliSense to figure out how it works. And I imagine I'm not alone. I-, I just have to figure that's how most of us work. Eventually, if you fail at that, then you go read the documentation or maybe you glance at the README or something. Mm -hmm. Either way, I thought that the name barrel was undiscoverable. Like, there's just no way you're going to know that that's the main object to work with. A barrel? That sounds silly.
0: Well, that's what you put stuff in. I mean, it could have been a box, but I think a box (laughs) isn't quite as fun, so...
1: Or it could have been called a cache because that's what the library is, just cache.
0: So so the nice thing is when you do, you know, monkey cache dot, you're going to have two classes. You have a barrel and you have HTTP cache. And HTTP cache uses a barrel. Um, Everything uses Mm -hmm. the same barrel and... What's nice here, it's a very simplistic API, and everything is um, everything is just synchronous. There's no asynchronous shenanigans. It just does it. Um, you can wrap it in an async method if you want, but um, right now you just literally add. You can you can get. You can add. You can. It'll automatically serialize your object or deserialize it. Or if you just give me a string, I'm good. Um, and that part of it and you tell me how long do you want to keep this around for so i want to keep this thing around for two days so here's a good example of how you use this library frank um, this is just the barrel just the barrel api so if i was using the barrel api i would say am i offline and if i'm offline we'll go try to get the object out of the barrel so hey give me give me my list of monkeys back right so that's mm-hmm. my, my my link and i give it a key and the key is always the url or it could be any key it doesn't matter if it's a string yeah. and then but if i am online well the first thing i'm going to do is check to see if i'm expired so like am i expired so, so is expired we'll check to say is there something in the barrel like does this mm-hmm. does this key exist and is it still valid yeah. and if so then go ahead and return that else i'll just go make my normal web request just like i always would and then i would say barrel add and i would say hey barrel go add this for a day and boom then you're you're done so the rest of your logic it's literally three lines of code and you've now implemented online offline mm-hmm. data synchronization in your app
1: yep i like it i think we have to revisit the parts about it being synchronous or not and i think mm-hmm. that the name http cache really stands out in, in the word barrel now so, like, you know, it looks like one's named by Frank and the other one's named by James. It really mm-hmm. feels that way. It's but um, I already have feature requests <laughs> because I, I tend to do um, collections like this slightly differently than you. I don't believe in checking for network connectivity. I just don't think it's a good test to do. And I think all logic based on it becomes tricky and weird and just bad. And so, what I prefer to do is if I have a query or a resource I want to get that's normally off on the internet, then I prefer a two step approach. One is um, I try to get the object, and let's say the web request fails because I'm not connected to the internet. It would return uh, two possible things a default object, like a placeholder, or the cached version. Mm. Yeah. So then, if you actually hit a cold cache, it'd do another thing. It would. Um, uh, so say you're connected to the internet and you hit the cache, it would give you the col- the cached version immediately. But then it would make the web request in the background and update that one. So I always like this kind of two stage one of always give me what I've got immediately, and then later let me know if an updated one has happened. So that's how I prefer to write my caching in apps. But, you know, small differences, and we can make this library do what I need.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think actually with the as it exists today, that's so why I wanted to make it feasible. Because here was, here's was the problem when I start thinking about these APIs, and I start looking at, and as I started to examine some of these APIs, like Akavash and these other ones, I go, I go, well, these APIs are written by someone for how they decide they want to manage their cache and how they want to make HTTP requests. And Mm -hmm. I go, I'm not going to be able to solve making web requests. Like, that's just hard because (laughs) I started looking at some of your implementations and some of your apps that you had shared with me. And I was like, well, there's headers and there's credentials. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. how can you plan unless you say, here's, give me an HTTP client and I'll go make a request. But at that point, why am I making the request for you? Because it seems as though you want to do something so custom. So the barrel at the base of it is just a simple key value store. And you Mm -hmm. are the one that are in charge of, do you want to check for internet connectivity? Go for it. It's up to you. It's up to you. you, Your barrel is your, it's all yours, right? You're going to empty that barrel. You're going to fill that barrel. (laughs) It's all good. And that was kind of my thought behind it, you know, because I can't solve everybody's problem, but I know how I want to use it, which is kind of like this.
1: This actually gets back to what we were saying was we don't want a library that does a lot of things specifically because those are the ones that trap you into a certain pattern. It's very hard to write an HTTP caching library without accidentally writing an HTTP library. You know, you don't yeah. want to write that layer and you don't want to take in, say, Akavash's version of that or whatever. And so, the trick to that is to just make your library basic primitives. And so what is a cache? It's get and set. And that's about it. And that's what you did. So mm-hmm. simple trick. And this goes along with our now that it's so easy to make nougats, even small libraries should just be nougats now. And I think they're more powerful that way.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I think in this instance, I'm, I'm you know, it's not done, right? Because literally we've worked on it. I'll say I worked on it, but there, there's, with no <laughs> there's no guidance. There's no way there's there's Frank, um, Frank mentoring along the way of, of doing this a lot of times, I'm mostly yelling at you to stop bugging me about this library I'm trying to work. <laughs> that is actually mostly that's mostly it, to be honest. And um, I think I'm still a little bit a long way off. I've been changing the API here and there, but I actually tweeted out a demo of it totally working like over the weekend. I went off and I created an object, I shoved it in, I closed the app, Mm -hmm. I reopened it, and there's the object, it's there. And um, I guess we never mentioned how this works, but it works because I'm using SQLiteNet. That's what I'm using. Are
1: you? Okay. I I was waiting for that punchline because I haven't actually looked at the source code in a while. And so hmm, you went that route. So that's what my old libraries did. I would just uh, create these little SQL objects and just shove all the data in there. As much as I am a fan of the file system, uh, SQL databases are reliable and simple, especially the SQLite that's built into things. Mm -hmm. So you took a full dependency on SQLiteNet. Neat.
0: I did, yeah. And I think it was at a good point because SQLiteNet works on every single platform. Um, It works running unit tests. It runs on iOS, Android, every version of Windows, anything that's .NET standard. It's just a .NET standard package, which is Mm -hmm. really cool. And um, I actually copied your data model. So the data model is really simple. The key is a, is a URL, it's actually just a string. So it actually could be anything. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a <laughs> URL, but ideally I'm thinking you're gonna be caching URLs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have uh, contents, which is a string. So you can pass me a string and I'll store that string. Else if you pass me an object, I will serialize that object with our good friend json.net. Which I'm still up in debates with that we'll talk about later. And then I have two more things. I have a date time expiration date, um, which you never give me the the expiration date when you want it to expire. You give me a a time span. Say, I want this to expire in an hour, in a day, in five days. And then I will take date time UTC and then append it on. Yeah. And then I have one more thing, which is an optional e-tag and... This was kind of a request by you because for how HTTP clients work, having this e-tag, which you can correct me if I'm wrong, an e-tag is essentially a timestamp from the server that says it's kind of like a hash, like this was the last Mm -hmm. modified change. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, a a hash is the better way to think about it. It doesn't have to be, but it is regarded in the same ways as a hash. A hash is, I can generate the hash from the content. That means the hash changes whenever the content changes. Mm -hmm. And that's the same rule you want with the e-tag in HTTP. Whenever the content changes, the e-tag should change. So hashing gives you that certain ability. The nice thing about e-tags is if the cache uh, does go cold, uh, if we can query it, then you can say to the server, uh, I know this expired, but I have this version of it, this version with this hash. Do I actually need to download a new version from the server? Mm-hmm. And while that doesn't save you the connection to the server, you still have to connect to it, it does save you the download. Mm-hmm. So for big things like images or podcast MP3s, <laughs> it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And also at the same time, there's probably big blobs of JSON that not doing anything is a lot faster than... than, uh, than um, <laughs> Then Yeah. So so that's what I have. That's what I've done. All the cool code is on on GitHub. And by the time this comes out, um, you know, we'll probably have some new releases. I'm kind of excited to get some feedback, but it's in a very early beta. And and I think <laughs> the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I, I, I'm i like, we've talked about caching data, but I was like, why doesn't this thing exist? And I'm sure that it does. And people are going to be like, use mine or use this or use yeah. that. But at the same time, I'm like, I really wanted this library's under 200 lines of code right now. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. That seems awesome.
1: We'll have to check back. I feel like we say this every episode in three months and see that it's now at 2,000 lines of code. We'll see if you can actually uh, keep it in check like that, especially with all the feature requests that I want to help me out. Yes. But yeah, it's an admirable goal, I think, to create these small, tight uh, little libraries that are um, uh, just unopinionated, that they don't force any constraints on you or anything like that. I do want to segue into a quick topic because I hope people are questioning. What about unit tests? Is this thing 100% code coverage? I mean, it's it's only 200 lines.
0: So that is a great question. And I'm glad that you asked. You know, I love writing unit tests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I have a suite of tests. That is correct. I Ah. have barrel tests and I have HTTP tests and I test every single method. Um, for successes and failures. Yes, that is correct. Because it's a .NET standard library and doesn't actually depend on any uh, running on a single device, um, which is really cool. And I can just run it inside of the NUnit tester, not even NUnit, Visual Studio Test Runner, which supports both Mm -hmm. IDEs. I test all the methods. I have almost 200 lines of unit tests for the
1: 200 lines of code. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, you totally get a pass because I'm just going to assume you have the full coverage there. So that's nice. I think so. Uh, you just have to hope that that weird SQLite library holds up and doesn't fail on you.
0: That is correct. Uh, that, that, is, that can only be. Um, and, and actually, it's, it's funny because I didn't I didn't even go on SQLite raw. I just went on your library SQLite net. So don't don't mess it up. That's what I say.
1: Uh, We should give a little shout out there to Eric Sink, who we mentioned at the beginning of the program. He's actually the author of SQLite Raw, which is actually the magical part of SQLite Net that makes it able to run on all the different platforms. Mm -hmm. In the early days, I did all that work myself, and it was terrible, and I kept falling behind. But now Eric does all that work, and so I'm eternally grateful to him. (laughs)
0: Yes, that is correct. And that's why I love it. So I'm very excited. I, I think that cashing around with these monkeys have been have been lots of fun so far. And I honestly think I'm going to start using this inside of my library or some of my applications because I wanted to do this. And then I thought, you know, I'm not just creating one app. I'm creating multiple apps. So mm-hmm. I want to nuke this puppy up. So hopefully, Frank, I I will say this. One last, one last thing before I get a little bit of a um, little listener feedback that I want to get into oh. um, is... Feature requests too. I think I had um, a lot of people on Twitter reach out and they're like this, and I want that, and what? Or they even said, "What about this? What about that?" So what about mm-hmm. what about encrypting data? And what about using user- it? What about this? And what about that? And I said, "I said here's the thing. This library's not for people that want to do that. It's just not. That's okay because all the source code is there. I said this library is for me and how I want to use it. So this is how it's gonna. This is how as as how it's gonna be done. Right? And I think." If I hit the 80%, then there's always the 20% edge case. And I think in any abstraction or anything fancy, when you're creating libraries, you're never going to hit that 100%, which is why I think it's important to kind of realize like making it how I want it. And I think how I want Mm -hmm. it and you want it are very similar. So your feature requests will probably go through, but
1: um, nice.
0: hopefully, well, you're, you have, Mm, you have right permission. So I guess you can do whatever you want.
1: I'm not a jerk. Yeah. So,
0: and that's my thought. And do you disagree or do you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's obviously the hardest part of uh, implementing an open source library is you want to say yes to all the people just because it's exciting to see all the activity on the library. And you can think, oh, the potential. Oh, it could, you know, solve world hunger if I just add this one more feature. Uh, but I think we've both learned in our old age here that uh, you got to say no a lot. And if setting out and saying that these are the limitations of the library, uh, we used to call them non-goals. I don't know if mm-hmm. we still use that word anymore, but specifically stating those non-goals is very healthy for a library. It lets you focus on the real problem. Yeah,
0: I like that. I like that. All right, Frank. Um, now that we're done caching around with the, the monkeys and barrels, um, mm-hmm. I want to get a little bit of, uh, take a few minutes, a little listener feedback. Um, we did get some good tweets. Um, you know, you can reach us. I'll mention first that you can reach me and Frank directly on Twitter, but also merge conflict at merge conflict, merge conflict FM on Twitter. And you can also go directly to merge conflict FM. That's the website where you can scribe on all of your favorite podcast applications or just listen each and every week. And there's a contact button and you can email us directly, which is really great. Um, You can also leave us reviews. That's kind of not only just feedback for us, but feedback for the world. So leaving us a five-star review is is always great. If, if, if it's a one-star review, don't do that. But, you know, whatever you want, it's, you're leaving the review. But it not only is great feedback for us to read, but also helps other people discover the show. So if you like this podcast, I know that there's a lot of you out there that listen each and every week. So give us some feedback. Um, and I will say the first thing I want to get to is some feedback from today, because I um, it's almost like a, f- a follow-up slash uh, comment because I started messing around with UUI again. I don't know if you know about this library oh. that you created, Frank.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I just spent all weekend on it. So I'm a little familiar with it, at least for today.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I was blown away because i went to the ui website which i'll put in the show notes which is like your sample page and Mm -hmm. you have like the bug sweeper like on there you have like (laughs) you have a live editing tool like the the live player almost for web content it's bananas (laughs) and it makes sense that you could do it really easy on the web um but francois what's that (laughs)
1: Does it, does it make sense? Cause that was hard. <laughs>
0: Why not? It, of course, it makes complete sense. I think you're, and I think you're using like the editor control, which you implemented and then to actually yeah. do it. It's pretty, it's yeah. forms creating Xamarin forms.
1: Yeah, um, I you you can't create a content creation platform without getting a little meta circular with it. You always have to implement kind of itself in it and just to see how it goes. So, um, so this weekend I just um, I finally had a weekend free where I could just work on some things, and so I implemented a lot of stuff, a lot of new renderers for the Xamarin Forms binding to Wii. and I. Basically, with the goal of getting the bug sweeper app working, because uh, Joseph from Xamarin, he's like, I I don't believe this thing works until I can play bug sweeper on it. So this is a a short little Xamarin sample that's just a clone of Minesweeper. It's quite fun, yeah, and so I worked all weekend. Yeah, it, it's nicely implemented. So I worked all weekend to get the stupid thing to work. So
0: so someone did have a question, which was uh, Francois. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get his last name right. M- Mushadi. I'm going to go with that. It's going to be wrong. But he he says, he said an idea crossed his mind, which was to write a Xamarin Forms web app with Ui for, for mobile. Okay. Yeah. He, he said, why? He said, yeah. you get the greatness of Xamarin Forms, but can bypass some of the app store. So the idea that some people want to embed web content into their application, but
1: could you then use Ui to embed that into your mobile app? Frank, what do you think of that? So here I have to admit something. This was actually always the intentions of the library. So I specifically designed it with this capability. In fact, if you look at the source code, it can do this. It can host itself within an iOS app, even without taking a dependency on iOS. It uses some reflection magic. And it can integrate it itself right into iOS. Small little problem. It doesn't work. Oh, <laughs> Punchline. Um, It works fine on Android, but on iOS, there's some missing libraries. Nothing I can't fix, though. So it's tempting. I've thought about doing that, too.
0: Yeah, I I guess the other thing that you could do is could you... Maybe also what he's asking is could you just create a web page and then like point a, a page of your application to that web page, right? So if I go into Chrome Tools and I say iPhone 6
1: i mean mm-hmm. it kind of
0: resizes f- for that um <laughs> you know what i mean but but is that something that yeah. also you thought about? it actually does like if you take bug sweeper and put it in an iphone 6 like it it mm-hmm. seems to totally work now you wouldn't be online offline right they would be loading xamarin forms right. from the web but
1: right so what i tried was running a server right on the device so ios is running the server and that way You can take advantage of all the iOS APIs still because of Xamarin. So you can Mm. access the accelerometer and all that stuff. But maybe you just don't feel like dealing with native uh, UI programming. And so you can do web programming instead or Xamarin Forms programming. Then, like you said, off on the server, yeah, you need an internet connection. No way to get around that. It's just how it works. (laughs) But it seems like you could
0: probably point this at something. But I've been really impressed by it. And... There seems, I think that a lot of people have been doing pull requests, and I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm just,
1: I'm still blown away. By the way, by, by this whole thing, <laughs> um, it's it's a funny little library, and I'm I'm very uh, thrilled that other people are not enjoying it too, because it's one of those weird ones where the immediate question is why? Why would I want this? What would I do with this? But there are people who, uh, let's just say, they're capable of thinking outside the box and <laughs> have kind of embraced it. So I'm just really enjoying all that excitement. Still have a lot of work left to do, though. My God, there's so many controls in Xamarin.Forms. Forms. Yeah,
0: and I think before we go, there was one correction from a few weeks back. I think maybe you can talk about the internal protected versus internal protected oh. protected pr- internal pr- oh private,
1: protected override. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'll try to make this short. So, we've always had uh, was it internal protected that we've always had? Um, the problem was internal protected or oh gosh, I'm getting the so names here we wrong. Carry does it. Here, What's Kerry the new it. one?
0: Internal protected <laughs> means internal or protected. Private protected means internal and protected.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's just a way Because people who use internal wanted to close off access or open up access Mm -hmm. to the methods, even though they were using internal. Yeah. So thank you, Carrie, for correcting us and getting it straight. Honestly, I can't keep the two words in my head for more than five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, everything. I don't use them. They're terrible. Stop it. It's bad design.
0: Well, there you have it. I think I do want to give a big shout out. This is not a sponsor this week, but I did. There's been a lot of beard jokes, especially because my beard has been growing, and 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 there's been a lot of video <laughs> of of conferences and stuff. And I randomly tweeted uh, someone was talking about a, a a beard oil or beard brush sponsorship for the podcast, which we do not have, so uh-huh. this is not sponsored. Um, hmm. And I tweeted back at them and. I, and I said, well, you know, obviously can you handlebar is is the official uh, beard oil of merge, Confl- merge conflict fm, which is a complete joke. Okay, complete joke. Because I do okay. use can you handlebar products on a daily basis?
1: Uh so you you did a nice product shot. It was I smi- did. you were smiling, you looked had your beard all groomed, I guess, for a beard. I don't know what they're supposed to look like, but yeah, sure. It looked great.
0: Well, they, what what happened was is they they sent us, me and you, Frank, a a, a gift package of a whole bunch of beard oils and beard goodies um, for the beard that you don't have, but maybe we'll grow one oh. day. So um, well, not oh. a sponsor. If you're looking for beard goodness, can you handle bar? Um, it is a good one. So <laughs> they're hooking go. us
1: up. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to grow a beard just so I can use the oil. <laughs> <Exactly>. Sounds good. <laughs> exactly.
0: All right, Frank, that's going to do it for this week's go get your hands on some monkey cash and on some. Ooh, um, find us all over the internet. And until next time, I'm James Montemagno.
1: And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening.
0: Peace.